From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And welcome again to EWTN's Open Line. If you look at your calendar, you'll notice that it's Thursday, which certainly means that it's Father Brian Mullady. How are you today, Father? Okay. Glad that you're with us. I know you're just a little bit under the weather, but you are certainly a trooper for jumping in here. Well, we're trying. You're a good man. So So let me give you those phone numbers uh, if you have a question for Father Brian. And that number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for our response and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. If you want to email us, the address openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure to put either Father Brian, Father Milady, or Thursday in the subject line. And uh, speaking of subject, I know that uh, we're just coming off of the baptism of the Lord uh, this past Sunday, so it would be a good day to talk about baptism, Father. Yes. Uh, last week, we actually had a question about this uh-huh. that was rather um, involved. And I wanted to talk about baptism, and I wanted to talk about John's baptism and Christ's baptism, and then explain just why this episode is in Scripture. Um, there were many baptismal rituals around the time of our Lord from various... Uh, sex in Judaism and also in paganism. And so we have the wonderful baptism of John, which is the immediate prelude to the coming of the Redeemer. And John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. In itself, it does not confer grace, but it's a testimony to people who know they need grace and healing and so it's the immediate preparation for our Lord's coming. Now, as you know, there was a long debate in the Acts of the Apostles about the baptism of John and the baptism of Christ. And John is very clear that I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, this is not to denigrate water baptism, Uh but it's to demonstrate once Christ dies on the cross that water baptism, which, of course, our Lord commands, has a deeper meaning than just John's baptism because it connects to the redemption. And as a result, you know, Catholicism has always been of the opinion that when the touch of the water hits the skin in the Holy Trinity, that it itself causes grace if there's no impediment. In other words, if the person 
says, I don't want to be baptized, that would be an impediment. But if there's no impediment, then it brings forth a redeemed creature, as is the case with children in infant baptism. So it's important to see that there's a very different experience of baptism in the Lord than of John's, even though Jesus approves the rite of baptism by water itself. Now, when Christ comes to the Jordan, many modern theologians claim that he didn't know who he was, that that baptism was for his own benefit. Well, no, it's never presented that way in Holy Scripture. Christ comes to manifest, after all, this is a part of the Feast of Epiphany, to manifest who he is to the crowds. And John baptizes him in order to manifest who he is, not to himself, not to Christ, who already knows who he is, but to the crowds. And I baptize you with water. There's one coming after me. And also, uh, in the experience of baptism, you remember that the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends and the Father speaks. And In other words, the Trinity manifests again in revelation who this person is. But Christ doesn't need this revelation. It's all the people standing around who need it. Mm. They need to know that Christ's baptism is going to give a whole different meaning to the baptism by water. Okay. And so the idea of ex opere operato, of the work itself being performed, is very much connected to the uh, New Testament baptism of our Lord, because after all, the baptism that we're baptized in is his blood. And this in itself is connected to the cross. And as a result, a person who experiences water baptism in the New Testament is very much connected to our Lord's blood that he sheds on the cross in atonement for our sins and in redemption. So uh, the whole idea of epiphany or manifestation first talked about the Magi, now talks about the baptism. And next a week, if it comes up in the scripture, it will talk about the first of Christ's miracles. Mm. So Christ begins his public ministry with John manifesting who he is to the crowds. And then in the wedding feast of Cana, he will perform the first of his signs and therefore uh, explain who he is. Who is it that's being manifested? Who is it that Revelation is telling us? Well, it's the second person of the Trinity. All right. Thank you so much for un unpacking that for us, Father. It is uh, Open Line Friday, uh, Open Line Thursday, rather, with Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN Radio. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we can probably get you on today's show, 833-288-3986. Father, here's an email we received from Heather. What are your recommendations for getting over scrupulosity? Oh, this is a very difficult problem. Mm. My recommendations are to find a spiritual director and obey him. Uh, in other words, the scrupulous person is always convinced they know more than the priests. <laughs> and uh, the, the priests don't understand what they're going through. Uh, 
And as a result, they can go to confessor after confessor, and the confessor tells them basically they're nuts. I remember there was a one in Rome. He was a brother, and he he uh, his idea was that um, if he thought about a sin, he committed it. Really? Yeah. So if he watched a movie on a murder, he committed the murder. Uh. So he went uh, one time at mass. I remember he went up at the offertory to ask the priest if he could go to communion because he thought about a thought he didn't shouldn't have. Wow. Yeah, no, it, it can be a very, very debilitating moral condition. And uh, the best way is to find a spiritual director you trust. Because that's one of the big issues, lack of trust. Mm, and yeah. do, what you, do what he tells you to do, even if you don't think it's right. Because the scrupulous person is always convinced that <laughs> the director isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Got to trust. Heather, thanks so much for your email. Here's one now from Robin. What is the procedure for a young woman to become a nun? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, you usually make contact with the community. Okay. And they um, examine you. Many communities today make you come and live there before you're a postulant uh-huh. so they can observe how you act with people because we, as you know, we have a lot of um, uh, dysfunctional families today. Sure. And there are women who have the most wonderful desires, but they can't live with other people because of their dysfunctional family. Mm. So they look at that and see. Then... They, if they approve you to enter, you first of all become a postulant. And that's normally from six months to a year, where you sort of just learn the basics. Then you become a novice, and most women religious have a two-year novitiate, okay. one of which is very sequestered, like a cloistered person. Mm-hmm. And then they go out in the second year, and they work a bit to get used to it. Okay. Then normally you have at least three years of temporary profession, sometimes six, mm. and then you make final vows. Okay. Well, that's the procedure. Robin, thanks so much uh, for your email. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Hey, we're taking your phone calls today at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Malady on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call one 205 271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com And to be specific about it, it's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Malady here on EWTN. I'll give you that phone number one more time. We're going to get to the phones in a moment here. 833-288-EWTN That's 833-288-3986 
you know, a great time to uh, make a purchase, whether it's a large purchase or a small purchase, is to grab something when it's on sale. We have a number of wonderful items that are on sale right now at the EWTN Religious Catalog. You may want to use it all year round. You may, you know, depending on the item, or you may want to stuff it aside for next Christmas. One of those items is the Kneeling Santa Statue. This is from the Joseph Studios Collection. Religious Catalog has three styles of Santa statues, which all depict Santa Claus, or if you wish, uh, you know, St. Nicholas, adoring the baby Jesus. All are made of resin statue and are hand-painted. Now, two of these statues feature uh, Santa cradling the sleeping Jesus in his arms, while a third shows Santa kneeling in prayer at the manger, with Christ awake, his arms stretched out wide. They're beautiful. Even though these statues are Christmas-themed, hey, Why not let your kids keep them out year-round? It's an ever-present reminder of the real reason for Christmas. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. Again, EWTNRC.com. Do check them out. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Paul in Chicago, uh, listening there in the Chicago area on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hi, very good. Thanks for the uh, taking my call. I appreciate that. I actually just tuned in briefly there, and I heard mention, Father said, uh, the family's broken down in a lot of trouble with families and so forth. And I just had a question with regards to a frustration I have, I guess, with the Catholic Church and Catholic social teaching doesn't address why it is the family is broken insofar as I think it's pretty understandable that people can make a living with a broken-down family because the government is there to pay bills in the face of divorce and and unwanted pregnancies and so forth. So I don't—I just was wondering if the Father has a thought on Catholic social teaching specifically with regards to uh, speaking out against government policies that promote the breakdown of the family. All right. Well, I have lots of thoughts about that, and so does Catholic social teaching. Um, for one thing, the wholesale pro- uh, promotion of divorce, or another thing, birth control. Yeah. Uh, those things basically lead to the idea that the child is an object of use, not a subject of love. And so you may have people who are very, very adept at running corporations or companies, or but they, they, they don't know how to be a parent when they go home. Uh, I remember there were some sisters who had a preschool south of Middletown, Connecticut, uh-huh. and they were older Italian and Indians. And one of the sisters, and it was the preschool was so popular, people would sign up for it in the womb when their child was in the womb. Wow. And so what the sisters told me, they said, Father, every year it becomes more difficult because parents don't know how to be parents. They're, they just want to buy off the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the child fusses to give him a cell phone. I mean, what, what can a child do with a cell phone? Mm. I mean, especially a primary school person. Sure. He's like, you know, it, it's, it's very sad that um, we don't have, uh, <coughs> what would you call it? We don't have people who to act like people. 
instead uh, their uh, their whatever their latest gig to get money or to to use other people is what they're interested in and so that's of course the breakdown of the family now if you're talking about uh, the government and the fact that they're giving a lot of money to people yes that's not exactly what catholic social teaching is either no 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 catholic social teaching uh, wants the family i don't know if you know this or not but the shop or work is connected to the family in Catholic social teaching. And the whole purpose of the shop is to support the family. And uh, work, therefore, has a, a necessary role in developing family life. So, yes, I know quite a lot about that, and it's very sad. And it's true because of our materialism and our culture. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for your call. Father, we uh, received, uh, my, my wife received a text from our adult son. He's 30 years old. He lives in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And he said, basically in a nutshell, how much he treasures our family because all of his friends, without exception, all of his friends came from divorced families. Right, right. Just, uh, yeah. I, 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 it's, it's a tragedy. Well, you know, the kids get put in the middle, yeah. um, and they always want the family to get back together again. Sure. And one of the more famous divorces in the 20th century was, uh, you know, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. Yes. And they said that the two kids, um, meet, the, the parents had movie theaters in their homes, uh-huh. so they'd ask what movie they wanted to see, and the two kids would say, Parent trap. <laughs> yes. And both Desi and Lucy said, kids, we're not going to get back together again. We're married to other people. And we've seen that stupid parent trap 25 times. <laughs> but you can see how much the kids wanted the parents to get back together again. Of course. Again. Of course. Yeah. Wow. All right. Open line uh, Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. We have a line open for you right now at 833 833- 288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian, 833-288-3986. Let's go now to uh, Janet in Columbus, listening on the great St. Gabriel Radio. Janet, what's on your mind today? Uh, Yes, Father. My question is, I have read online that Walmart sells satanic items on, on their online store. And I wonder, does that mean that we cannot go to Walmart? Um, did you say satanic items? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Um, well, as long as you don't buy those things, I suppose you can go. Uh, <laughs> I think they did. I, I, I believe, Janet, that they did offer some items on their online store. There was such a, a, a hue and cry that they, 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 they took them took down. They took them off. Yeah. 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 If I'm not mistaken. So you can go to Walmart then. There you yeah. go. Janet, thanks so much uh, for your call. It's uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. Calls are coming in right now. You can be one of them at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Jeremy uh, sent us an email. He says, uh, what does theology of the body teach as far as whether we will still be male or female in heaven? Any thoughts there, oh. Father? Yeah, of course. Of course it will be male and female in heaven. Because uh, our body doesn't become an it, for heaven's sakes. I yeah. mean, 
And uh, remember, the soul and the body are in absolute unity with each other. They're not interchangeable. And so if you had a masculine body here on earth or a feminine body here on earth, you'll have it when you die. Otherwise, how could we pray to female and female saints? I mean, That's true. You know. That's true. So, uh, no, no, no. Uh, we'll definitely have a masculine or feminine body when we die. Very good. Jeremy, thanks for your question. Uh, Deborah is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Deborah says, Father, gener- um, Genesis 3-5 and Genesis 22 confuse me. Quote, man has become like us knowing good and evil. Well, I always heard that sin or evil entered the world when the fruit was eaten, but these two scriptures suggest evil was already here. Any thoughts there, Father? Uh, Yes, I have a number of thoughts. Uh, First of all, you can't form your theology by English translations. You have to look at the words that are used in the context. And the knowing good from evil in Genesis the word to know in Hebrew is not just intellectual knowledge. It's actual practical knowledge. Okay. So when you do evil, that's when you come to know it. Mm. And before Adam and Eve uh, did evil, they didn't know it in the Hebrew sense. They certainly knew the difference between right and wrong. Otherwise, they couldn't have made a choice intellectually, mm-hmm. theoretically, but not practically. Okay. Very good. It's uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. A question here from uh, Jessica. Let's go to Jessica in Houston. And uh, Jessica's listening on Guadalupe Radio. Jessica, what's on your mind today? Hi, I was just um, wanted to ask about contraception, but due to medical reasons. What is the church's stance on that? Well, it depends on what you mean by medical reasons. If you mean that you're a teenage girl and you're taking the pill to regulate your period, but you're not having sex, then that's not considered contraception because you're not having sex. But if you, if you mean <clears throat> as a kind of therapy for uh, ectopic pregnancies or you're told you can't get pregnant again because it might uh, threaten your life, uh-huh. no, no, that's that's contraceptive so it's it's a sin okay yeah. jessica thanks so much for your call jan has a question uh, via email are we made to suffer or made to sacrifice my brother <laughs> says my brother says that we are made to suffer but i don't think that's why god made us <laughs> well uh when i was a little boy i cited the baltimore catechism and the second question was why did god make me and the answer was, God made me to show forth his goodness and to make me happy with him in heaven. So we are not made to suffer. However, because of sin, sin introduced suffering into the world. And as a result, if we're to know, love, and serve him and go to heaven, that demands not only physical suffering, but moral suffering too, in the sense that you have to um, uh, control your concupiscence, your your uh, evil desires. But in itself, we're not made to suffer. That's a stoical opinion from the ancient world. Uh, the more, but more it hurts, the better it is. Now, in Catholicism, we're made for good. The fact that we do suffer is a result of the sin. 
Okay. Glad we can clear that up. Jan, thank you so much uh, for your email. By the way, referring to emails, if you would like to email us for uh, perhaps a future show, here's the address, and that's openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Make sure you put Thursday in the subject line or possibly Father Brian or Father Milady, anything to make sure that we get the right question to the right host. In a moment, we're going to go to uh, Elodia in Sherman, Texas, and we've got a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you call today, uh, as in right now, call right now while we have a couple of open lines, you can probably get in on uh, today's show, then you won't have to wait a week. Here is uh, Elodia now in Sherman, Texas, listening on the great Guadalupe Radio. Elodia, what's on your mind today? Uh, Two things. I don't know what that uh, soul is. Uh, warned by the priest when he's hearing confessions. Uh, lately, some priests aren't wearing that. I think it's blue or purplish. And also, uh, saying the Catholic confession in the confessional versus outside the confessional. All right, as to the first, the stole is the sign of a sacrament. Um, in fact, the chasuble, which we wear at Mass, is an extension of the stole. Hmm. That's why it's so big. But it's a, a sign of the uh, power of the priest to give a sacrament. Now, I don't know why the priest omits to wear the stole. In the Dominican order, we don't have to wear the stole because we have an ancient privilege that the scapular substitutes for it because of all the confessions we heard all over Europe. Okay. Regarding the uh, act of contrition in or out of confessional, that's that's optional. So... Whatever the priest wants to do. I usually prefer it in the confessional mm-hmm. before I give absolution. But there's no real hard and fast rule about it. Okay. So. Very good. Uh, Elodia, thanks so much for your call. Richard has a question, uh, email to us. He says, The Catechism of the Catholic Church avoids referring to Jesus Christ as a human being, since then Jesus would be two beings. I have heard Catholic apologists call him a human being, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, it avoids referring to him as a human person. A human being, if you mean nature, Uh then that's certainly fitting to affirm for Christ. But uh, as far as the person of the word, there's only one person in Jesus with two natures. So what I'm saying is that if your expression of him being a human being refers to his human nature, you can say that. It's not the best thing to say, but you can say that. But you cannot say there's a human person in Christ. And, you know, there are lots of people, lots of preachers who say that. Hmm. And that's heretical. That's the Nestorian heresy. There are two persons in Christ. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for your question. Here's one now from Aaron. If you affirm free will... Does the Catholic teaching of justification follow? And if you deny free will, does the Protestant teaching of justification follow? Um, gosh, let's see. Um, justification in Catholicism uh, 
is God moves the soul, and the soul, by freedom, allows itself to be moved. Okay. But it, but it doesn't move itself. That's merit. Mm. So um, uh, the denial of free will would certainly uh, affect uh, Catholic teaching concerning justification. Um, and I didn't, gee, that's a kind of, kind of conundrum. Tricky. <laughs> yes, the denial of free will for Protestants. I really don't know. Um, I think that they have a, several doctrines where, in some of those sects, mm-hmm. where they basically hold that um, you're justified no matter what you do. Well, then, of course, what, what sense does free will make? Well, yeah. Um, you know, so, no, in Catholicism, you have the God moves. So the Protestants are right in the sense that our works don't justify us. God moves, and the soul allows itself to be moved by freedom. Then, when the soul moves your own powers to act, mm-hmm. in light of this, that's merit. But we don't merit uh, grace coming. We merit heaven as a result of grace. All right. Very good. Thank you so much uh, for your question, Aaron. Let's go to Chris now in Michigan, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Chris, what's on your mind today? Um, if you, The moment you die, do you go to paradise, as Jesus explained in, in Luke 23? Um, I guess not talking about purgatory right now, and is heaven a different level after Jesus returns? So well, I have no body? idea. I have no idea what you mean by a different level. When you die, you're judged. And you either become worthy of heaven or hell in personal judgment. The people who go to purgatory are judged worthy of heaven, but they have things they have to work out that they did on earth that weren't really very good. Mm. Um, Then at the end of time, there's another judgment, a general judgment, in which all the assembled creation is judged by the mouth of our Lord, which is what refers to Matthew 25. And um, in this general judgment, all that the wicked did will be, everything will be revealed. So what the wicked did, their hidden evil was it will be revealed and add to their suffering. And the good, their um, hidden patience will be revealed and it will add to their glorification. But there's no levels of paradise. I mean, the people who are judged worthy of heaven uh, go immediately there. Okay. Provided they don't have to work out some things sure. in purgatory. Right. Chris, uh, Chris, I appreciate your phone call today. We do have a line open for you right now for uh, Father Brian Milady at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. Here's an email from Robert, Father. He says, in the John 6 dialogues, the language of transubstantiation is literal and taken literally by Catholics. But with Nicodemus being born again and with the women at the well, the language is also literal, but Catholics don't take it literally. Why is that? Um. Well, because the letter, level of literacy, literal, being literal, uh-huh. is different in all those things. Now, Christ, as you know, 
In John chapter 6, when people find this a hard saying, he doesn't back off. He even uses verbs like chew. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's obvious that he um, considers this uh, an extremely important and, uh, well, I guess the word you would use is literal activity. Now, um, on the other hand, people like Nicodemus, they're not necessarily dealing with literal uh, uh, ideas at least in the context. So you have the spirit and all that. Well, what does that mean? That needs to be interpreted a bit more, mm. but not in John chapter 6. Okay. Very good. It is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN Radio. We do have a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Got a, uh, an email here, Father, from Christina, who says... I am a cradle Catholic. I went to Catholic grammar school and high school. Also, my uncle was a Franciscan priest, my dad's youngest brother. I am currently in a relationship with a Protestant man. He truly believes that the Dalai Lama will go to hell because he does not believe in Jesus. Now, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but what about Buddhists such as the Dalai Lama who have lived a very holy life? Thanks for all your wonderful shows, Christina. Okay, well, uh, I think Buddhism is a very strange religion, and Hinduism is even worse. And uh, though there are positive aspects to this, like in every religion, mm -hmm. um, the general opinion of the church has been that as long as those positive aspects are emphasized and the negative aspects are a result of invincible ignorance, in other words, you couldn't know any better, uh -huh then God never condemns those who do what they're able to do. But obviously, uh, Buddhism, which doesn't believe in a personal God and all that, it can't possibly be the same as Christianity. Okay. Appreciate that. And uh, Christina, thank you so much uh, for your email. Here's one now from Vic, who says, When a person is dying and they confess their sins without a priest, does that count? Or is it necessary to have already gone to confession? Or must there be a priest present when the person passes away in order for their sins to be forgiven? Well, we fall back on the same principle. If it's possible a priest be present, then he should be present. Okay. Um, if it's not possible, it's possible for you to say your sins to someone else who, as you know, can take them to the priest and repeat them. Uh -huh. But... The, the person who receives these sins is bound by the seal, just as the priest is. And uh, anyway, it's quite complicated, the question of how you actually carry this out in practice mm -hmm. um, sometimes. But the idea is that you can confess your sins to someone else who can take them to the priest, who uh, can absolve you, but all, both of them are bound by the seal, and they can never reveal it. Okay. Appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, for your email. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian here on EWTN Radio. Do have a couple of lines full, a couple of lines open at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Uh, you are probably well, well aware of our wonderful program, Catholic Answers Live. And I'm very proud that EWTN is the exclusive radio home 
for Catholic Answers Live. Did you know that there is a weekend edition of Catholic Answers Live? We call it the best of Catholic Answers. Our producer, Michael McCall, picks what he thinks is the best show of the week, and that's what we slug into the server, and we air it on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, the same time that you would normally hear Catholic Answers Live Monday through Friday. There's that best of show that airs on Sunday nights, 6 p.m. Eastern. I tell you what, it's better than anything on TV. That is for sure. All right, it is uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian here on EWTN. Alec wrote us an email from Peachtree City, Georgia. Alec says, We Catholics say that nativity, the nativity, is the incarnation. We also acknowledge that Christ actually became incarnate at the Annunciation, but we tend to repeatedly and most strongly identify Christmas as the Incarnation. To me, this indicates that Christ was not really a human being until he was born, contrary to the Catholic position on the personhood of the fetus in the womb. Why in the world do we confuse this issue so completely? Why do we insist that the Nativity and the Incarnation are the same? Thanks, Alec. Well, we don't. That's the simple answer. The Feast of the Incarnation of Christ is the Annunciation. The Nativity is very, they're just that, the Nativity. In other words, Christ came out of the womb after nine months uh-huh. to be revealed to the world. If it, no one had known about him, he couldn't have possibly carried out his public ministry or any of that. So we do not confuse them. And I think it's important for you to look at the... Uh, missile to see that um <laughs> okay yeah uh, we do not confuse them very good uh and there were books like cardinal ratziger benedict the 16th wrote a long book on the on the liturgy and he talked about the date for christmas and he says no march 25th in hebrew ideas was the day for the creation of the world so the new creation occurs then then that determines all the other dates. So June 25th is John the Baptist's birth, mm. as you remember. Yes. Because it, the angel says she who is barren is in her sixth month. And then December 21st is when Christ comes out of the womb. The light bursts out of the womb in order for people to know him. All right. Appreciate that. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian. Uh, Lucy Mary uh, in Colorado called in. She couldn't stay on the phone, but she did leave us this question. She says, I am a convert. Could you please recommend a book on purgatory? Any uh, ideas there, Father? Well, oddly enough, the best book on purgatory is Dorothy Sayers' translation of the purgatory in Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. Really? Yes, and you can find that in Penguin Classics. Because she was an Anglican, but she was writing uh, to try to explain what Dante's ideas were, which were very Thomistic about purgatory. Mm. And so her distinctions are very good. They're very simple. They only It's only like two or three pages long in the introduction. But it, it really is one of the best books ever written on purgatory. Yeah. Well, Very good. Lucy Mary, thanks so much uh, for your question. Uh, Rita sent us a text. She says, the Bible says to be fruitful and multiply as parents. But why would we want to bring more children into this world that is so upside down? What would their future be? Heaven. 
<laughs> yeah. Their future is heaven. God made me to show forth his goodness and to make me happy with him in heaven. God created the world in order to people heaven. And, you know, the world has often been in turmoil and difficulty. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly astonished at people who think nobody should have any children because they might have some problems, you know, physically. They still have an intellect and will. Sure. We still are able at the moment, at least, to teach Christianity freely, and they can go to heaven. So that's the reason. That's where we need to be. Rita, thanks so much for your text. Mary is listening to us in Troy, Michigan. Hey there, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call so much. Um, it's been weighing on my heart really uh, heavily these days since I got a letter from the bishop that two of my four children's baptisms are not valid. Um, the deacon, when he baptized them back in 1992, said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit instead of I baptize you. Oh, my yes. So yes. I got a letter from the bishop, and I can't tell you, as a parent that has been a catechist, taking their kids for every sacrament, every Sunday, I can't tell you how devastating and hurtful it has been to go through this. Um, my children are now 29. They redid their sacraments, um, but only because I wanted them to. Um, it put a really bad taste in their mouth. Um, and it's devastated me, and I just wanted to understand the church's reasoning again. I was baptized in a Croatian church. I have no idea what they said. My husband's a Presbyterian. Right. I don't know what they said. It hit, you know, it just to get that letter um, and just kind of throw a bomb into our family has been devastating. We celebrate our baptism day uh, oh, as we do uh -huh. our birthday. Um, and we always have. And now when that day comes around, it's a very devastating day to all of us. Uh, we can't look at the pictures. My kids wore my baptismal gown. It just is so devastating to throw a bomb like that into a family and not have the church Are, ever follow up with me. Wow, Mary, thank you for your call. And uh, Father, what do you think? How, how does she move on from this? How does she heal from this? Well, first of all, you, you did get them baptized, right? Yes, she did. Like, again? Uh-huh, she did. All right, well, first of all, I wouldn't take it personally. I don't think it has anything to do with you and your family personally. It's just that apparently the bishop tumbled to the fact that this deacon didn't know what he was doing. So it's his problem, not yours. And I would say that uh, I would be glad that it was resolved before it got even worse. Yeah. So um, I, I know people tend to get very, very hurt today. But uh, as I say, it isn't a problem. It isn't your problem. It's the problem with that deacon. Yeah. And uh, if you could try to put it in perspective, that might help a bit. We do hope that's helpful for you, Mary. Thank you so much for your call. Graham sent us an email who says, uh, a person I know who is an agnostic asked me this question. If a loving God is not giving us a perfect free will, er, therefore, if there is a God, isn't he flawed? 
his his contention is we do not have true free will because it has been compromised by sin. Well, we always have free will. We can always convert. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. of course we have free will. Uh, again, God doesn't um, force us to do one thing or another. He's recognizing a situation that needs to be uh, addressed. And so the free will uh, always implies that you can convert, that you can um, address your concupiscence, you can address your sins. Mm -hmm. We provide sacraments for that. Our Lord died for that. Uh, If you think you have to be perfect... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm certainly not perfect. I don't know about uh, me you. Me neither. Me neither. And I don't take that as a result of an uh, unloving God. I take that as a result of me. Yes. Because God's given me every help. If I don't benefit from it, that's my problem. Sure. Again. Graham, thanks so much uh, for your email. Here's yes. one. Here's one now from Wilfred. It is a possibility that God's omnipotence works differently than how... People see things. Uh, if that is true, is that an answer to the arguments against the existence of God, considering everything is contradictory? Wow, he's all over the place with this question. Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking I, about. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, is it a possibility that God's omnipotence works differently than how people see things? Well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I, I don't know. And... Uh, if they mean that God, by his power, can act against himself, you no, know, he can't. Um, and uh, this someone in the last, I was with your last show, uh-huh. and they were talking about nominalism. Yes. And the nominalists basically believed that God's power was the most important thing, and he could change everything as he wanted to. He was like a petulant child up in heaven <laughs> who could, you know, who could just... Uh, by his own um, selfishness, basically changed the world and back and forth. No, God can't act against his own omnipotence. Just because he has the ability to do it doesn't mean he can. Uh, He doesn't act against logic because logic reflects him. Uh, The question you asked me is quite (coughs) difficult. Uh, to try to explain in three minutes. Yeah. But just keep in mind, just because you have the power to do something doesn't mean that you can do it when it comes to truth. God's omnipotence is also subject to his truth because he's also the infinite truth and he's also the infinite love. All right. Here is a, a question now from uh, an anonymous listener who says, I'm a devout Catholic and a loyal listener. Regarding the question about same-sex so-called marriage and the caller's daughter asking, where is it written that it's not allowed? Here's my thought. What about the miracle at Cana? Same-sex so-called marriage was not ordained by God in heaven and or sanctified by Christ on earth. When my daughter asked me if I would attend the ceremony, if she were to marry a woman, I replied, no, because there's no such thing. I then referred to the above and added that, quote, it's impossible for a man to marry a man or to a, uh, for a woman to marry a woman in the sense that God intended for the two to become one in body. Any thoughts there, Father? Yes. Uh, this whole <laughs> problem 
was caused by contraception. Because when you separate childbearing from sex, I mean, basically, why why not have a same-sex marriage? Because there's no children involved. And yet, all throughout Scripture, children are spoken of. Plus the fact that in Ephesians, remember you have the wives be submissive to your husbands, husbands love your wives uh-huh. as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. This is a great mystery. Uh, and it's always oriented to life. Be fruitful and multiply. Jewish ideas were very big on this life business. And so what we need to do is stand fast. I think you're doing the right thing to stand fast. And, you know, you want to communicate to your daughter that you love her. Sure. But on the other hand, you love her enough not to attend something that you think is seriously flawed. Yeah. We'll uh, close with this question then from Charles. Why does it say that Jesus, quote, descended into hell in the creed? Why is that, Father? Oh, yeah, that's we've had that question a lot. Yes. Um, the descent into hell is, again, based on a difficulty in translation. Hell there refers to the shale. It refers to the place of the dead. And the descent into hell is the fact that Jesus, when he... Uh, died on the cross, who had spent three years evangelizing earth, then went to evangelize the people who had gone before him in what's called the limbo of the just. In other words, all the people waiting for him who'd uh-huh. been faithful. Mm-hmm. Of course, since this is without the vision of God, it's generally referred to as hell, but Satan is confounded even more by Christ's evangelizing uh, limbo. All right. Father, we've got to, got to close out here. Could you give us your blessing, please? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Well, Father, uh, I, I want to give you a gold star for uh, jumping in here as the trooper that you are and uh, doing the live radio show. Thank you so much, and we hope that you're feeling better, certainly by next program. God reward you. Okay. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. I'm Tom Price filling in for Jack Williams, who will be back ASAP. Be sure to join us every day, Monday through Friday, for Open Line right here on EWTN Radio. Have a great day. God bless.